A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, welcome to the Rock Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. Hello, Josh Brown, and hello, a season, a month of RPGs. Oh, my God, my RPGs friend. RPGs are back, my friend. We're absolutely flowing in them. I noticed before we started recording that on console anyway, yes. not including early access, we've obviously got the launch of Starfield, which at the time this podcast goes up will be in general release. Yes. I am oh, yeah, sure. that's a good point, actually, yeah. We've got Starfield. We've got Baldur's Gate dropping on the PlayStation uh-huh. 5 like at the end of this week as well. And then at the end of the month, we've got Phantom Liberty, which is the DLC for Cyberpunk 2077. Yes. And it's just a cool time to be a fan of RPGs because there was a certain point. I thought they were going to go away. I thought <laughs> they were dead. I thought publishers were moving away from them mm-hmm. because we saw the likes of EA kind of streamlining studios like Bioware to minimize the hard, more hardcore nature of the genre mm-hmm. and kind of pivot into live services. And then you get something like Baldur's Gate, which just says, no, we can make a hardcore RPG. And as long as it's good, people will flock to it in their droves <laughs> because it turns out role-playing in a video game is really fun. I just The thing, we did an early version of this recording where I, my brain collapsed and I couldn't think what I was going to say. But I remembered now and I've made notes to say it. Come on. Us talking about um, the state of the, th- the likes of Larian and Baldur's Gate and making super experimental RPGs. And it, it kind of ties in with when we brought up Mass Effect and some previous week we were talking about how no one makes these games anymore. And all of a sudden now two of them come back. Yeah. And it made me think, you know, has, EA, is there anyone who's ever been wrong twice like EA? Like, they once said single-player games are dead. Yeah. Cue that massive wave of Sony first-party stuff proving very much the opposite. And then now the idea that you're laying off all these people from Bioware, obviously they're struggling internally whatever, and you can look at the past few years of what they've put out. as to a potential reason why, but I, I don't um, believe for a second that it was entirely Bioware's fault. And what you read into the likes of Mass Effect, Andromeda, and Anthem, there's a lot of EA entanglement in there. Yeah. Um, that idea being that, you know, you need to streamline this game, you need to make an Anthem, make a loot system, make whatever, um, and then obviously people leaving Bioware and etc. The likes of Baldur's Gate, the likes of Starfield proved that that old audience was always there, and if you only believed in it and allowed the team to play to their specialities, you might have your own Baldur's Gate 3, yes. or your own Starfield, if only you believed EA. I think, you know, you saying that EA's been wrong twice is, like, giving them all too much credit. <laughs> I think they've been wrong way more too than twice. major wrong Like wrongs. you said, you know, they, they did the single-player thing. They pivoted uh, their RPG studios away from RPGs. Yes. They said things like, well, it wasn't them specifically, but in relation to Dead Space, they were like, horror doesn't sell. Mm. The whole industry was saying, horror doesn't sell. And then immediately you get all of these indie horror games that sell like hotcakes. <laughs> and they're like, all right, maybe we should remake Dead Space now. I feel like publishers, and I'm not the only one to say this, but publishers like to kind of force their narratives, right? That if yes. they, they kind of think that if they say nobody wants RPGs enough time, it'll become the <laughs> truth. But it never obviously is because players want what they want and what they like, want is good games. It's not even like reinforced by like a game design thing. Like the, the two RPGs in specifically that we're mentioning, we're going to get to some specific talking points around Bethesda, Xbox, and Starfield itself. You know, this level of game is so complex. It's such an investment in terms of the development time to turn it around and everything. But it's not like the EA executives are speaking from that level to to say, oh my God, these games are too hard. We need to do something more simple. It is just more chasing trends, chasing the thing that they think everyone wants and just saying things like that. No one wants single player stuff because we want to push you towards multiplayer and um, and monetization and predatory stuff. And then, you know, horror doesn't work. It's like, well, you guys weren't making a horror game to talk about anyway. Yeah. And then pivot back around to Dead Space. It's been a weird decade for them. At the minute, for EA specifically, I feel like they're sort of calming down. Um, you know, the EA original stuff. I mean, Immortals of Avium is bombing its ass off. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a shame, right? It is 
is a shame that game seems like it has some cool mechanics and the uh, fi- the shooting and stuff seems like it's pretty satisfying. Um, but overall, this style of game is something that when I was playing through a bit of Starfield last night, there was one bit where I was just I finished a mission off and the string section came in underneath and I went to walk back outside and it just gave me such a Skyrim vibe and it reminded me of obviously it was 2011 for Skyrim, but it reminded me of the 360 era and all of a sudden there was like this wave of like man. I remember when Xbox was great. Like, right. I remember that yeah, period yeah. when everyone had 360s. Um, obviously, you can go further back than them when we all had the Blades UI, when they rolled the avatars out. There's that dark period at the end of the twenty of the 2000s where they didn't really release anything of any worth in the first-party space. And obviously, Skyrim was always in was Bethesda. But I feel like a lot of people played that on Xbox. And it just made me think of that kind of era. And it's a, it's a twinned conversation. Like, it is that state of Xbox and state of Bethesda thing. But at the same time, it's worth pointing that out. Like, we haven't had a, an Xbox game to champion no. at all. Um, in a long, long time. We said that when we did the Starfield pod um, the other day, but it is it is a big win for Xbox, even if they bought their way to the top. It is. Yeah, a lot of juicy details you've brought up there, Scott. I'm a juicy I want to go back to what you said about like RPGs and the kind of how long they take because of the scope of them. I think yeah. my favorite thing about the Starfield experience and by extension, the Bethesda experience mm. is that they're so grand in scope that no two people play them the same way. And I think what we're really lacking in games right now is that ability to share stories yes. between each other. It, like, you know, experience games and feel the need to jump online or jump on the phone to your friends or jump on WhatsApp or whatever it is to I was going to say the phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm use a phone and deck it. So. I was just... Phone my mom. I don't have a landline. I don't even phone my mom. I won't phone a single person. I'd rather throw that phone we've, in we've, the sea. As long as I've known, we've known each other for about a decade now, I've never phoned you once. I think I've phoned my girlfriend like twice in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've done it one Whatever, that. Whatever I've thought I've got, I'll text you it. It's yeah. easier, it's faster. No one wants a phone call. No, no. I'm getting into voice notes though. Oh, really? It's it's like the ease of a phone call, but <laughs> like without, you know, having to have someone on the other end. <laughs> I, I view that, I ever try and do a voice note, it's such a tangent, but whenever I do a voice note, I'm too aware that it's like on a timer, like I've hit the button and it's like, right, okay, record I mean, it. Yeah. And I sort of semi-rehearse it. And you'd think that I'd be able to because I make a living of blabbing for a li- for all day long but I cannot get a voice note right and I'll, I'll redo it I'll pronounce something better I just can't get it right it took me ages you know yeah. and you'd think like I, I, I very embarrassingly like I don't know sort of shift into voiceover mode when yeah. I do it as well and I just think that's embarrassing I can't be doing the <laughs> what culture voice when I'm just like leaving a voice note for me dad uh, the point is though yes if there was indeed a point that uh, mm. Starfield Bethesda those games are so player driven mm. that you know the likes of even me and you you know we've played probably roughly about the same now mm. but our experiences are radically different you have quests that I haven't seen mm. I've done things that you probably haven't seen and then we can kind of share that knowledge it's really cool to come into the office and talk about what we did last night yeah. in Starfield and I think <laughs> that's what makes RPGs of any kind no matter the scope interesting because even in something more linear like the Mass Effect trilogy mm. you still have different ways to get through those missions to experience that story to customize who Shepard is and that variation just makes this subgenre to me so magic and so yeah. special and that's why I'm so pleased that it's come back because I can't wait to do the same thing in Baldur's and I can't wait mm. to do the same thing in Cyberpunk because they're such rich worlds and even in Starfield which isn't necessarily um is is fully focused on role playing mm. a specific role or kind of you know altering the dialogue the way that the exploration works means that you can literally go to 100 planets uh, <laughs> that I will never see until I'm 90 hours in and that is just as integral to the overall experience than, uh, you know, dialogue and Dude, yeah. builds and stuff. I'd say what I want to um, focus in on is that idea of trust, like trusting the player. Like, I feel like over the years, you, like I mentioned the, the wave of the first party PlayStation stuff and the amount of, like, the opulence that comes with AAA games and the, the need almost on the design level or potentially the investment level to make sure the player sees everything. And there's always a thing about people don't finish games or whatever, but we are going to railroad you down a specific path with a certain viewpoint so that you see just how much money we threw at this thing. Um, and not take the risk of you not discovering the rest of it. Um, and I that whole idea of how much do you trust the player to actually see or play the game the right way, I think has led to a lot of linearity. Or even in the open world space, making open world games that are still very linear. You're still just, you're not exactly um, playing through them in the way that we are the likes of a Bethesda game or yeah. Baldur's Gate, where you can think your way through combat scenarios in a million different ways. Um, a lot of open world games end up like uh, Arkham City, where it's like, you've, to me, that was one of my biggest problems with Arkham City, was that you ostensibly took another 
Arkham Asylum if it was a plate and just dropped it and shattered it everywhere. Mm. And all I'm doing is going to the next authored thing and the next authored thing and the next authored thing right. instead of having an overall role-playing experience or an overall improvisational experience where the designer trusts the player to poke and prod around and figure it out as they go. I feel yeah. like, just to round it off, I feel like this year is um, a very important year for trusting the player again. Tears of the Kingdom does it massively. Baldur's Gate 3 does it and now Starfield does it where they're not holding your hand at all but giving you enough tools to figure it out. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm going to briefly defend a lot here, Arkham there. No, you're making a lot of good points. I'm mm. going to briefly defend Arkham because, yeah, while I agree it's not like the finest example of play agency, I like that at least in City and Night, Rocksteady still give you a lot of surprises. Mm. and They rewarded you kind of sticking your nose in places that it might not have belonged, like right. obviously the huge uh, man-bat jump scare in Arkham Knight. Like, that's a cool surprise <laughs> that you get from exploring. You know, some of the side quests in City and, and Knight as well, like, are disturbing and creepy and they kind of like, like they just show up out of nowhere. Mm. And while, you know, it is more railroaded, it's that element of surprise and it's that element of, like you said, trusting the player to find this stuff mm. and more importantly, not minding if they miss it, mm-hmm. that I love, I love to see that um, returned. You know, we always talk about Red Dead Redemption 2. Just going to mention that. I thought you might. In how few people finish that game. Yes. I love that because it makes each individual player through more special. Like, Mm. I found in the first hour a severed arm that led me to a crime scene. (laughs) And I think that is something that you didn't get for a good few hours. No, no. Again, being able to come into the next day and saying, you know, did you see that? Like, what have you experienced? Mm. What part of the world have you been to? Mm. Share your knowledge with me. Mm -hmm. That is such a cool social element that you don't get in a lot of other sandboxes. And even like a lot of live service games Mm. where the focus is, you know, how do I min-max my way through the game? How do I get these stats up? How do I find the loot? Mm. RPGs, in my opinion, even though they might have loot and they might have stats, are about that kind of like experience. They're about that uh, moment-to-moment experiential experience. Gameplay that mm-hmm. differs between people. Well, I'll tell you what I was going to mention, Rockstar, and you you were more positive on them than I, than I would have been, because um, I think they walk that line. They are almost emblematic of the issue that I was getting at with open world stuff, where mm. in Red Dead 2's case, um, and they started doing this in GTA 5, um, I guess a little bit in the 4 as well, but there is a contrast between old school Rockstar, the original GTA 3D trilogy, and where they went, where when you come to mission design, it's go here, stand here, shoot this person with this gun from this angle, and if you step outside the area, immediately mission fails. Um, and there's a really good Nakey Jakey video over on YouTube highlighting yes, that stuff yeah. about the difference in the two and how like if you the thing I'm zeroing in on is the idea of um, open world mission design and quest design and uh, world design where it's it's expressly not telling you to go here do this do that it's just there's a feel about original GTAs that was so open ended yeah. um, that a lot of um, over the years people have said did Rockstar even realise what they had where they were just telling you this target needs to be taken out and then trusting the player to either run them over take them out with a sniper rifle um, plant a bomb in their car and watch them blow up all of the um, freeform exploration stuff that came from your side that made it an open world genre and then the break that then became okay how do we curate the open world genre mm. and give it the AAA feel and make sure everyone's seeing everything um, and Red Dead is a weird example because it, it is freeform and you can find stuff that the average the person next to you didn't see but main mission wise yes. we're all doing them the same way we're all shooting the people with the same guns in the same places absolutely I think to me that's part of the genius of Red Dead 2 because it manages to be authored and scripted while mm. still giving you that sense of freedom and uniqueness in your character because mm. yeah everyone's going to go through those main missions in the exact same way I think in that Nicky Jakey video he even describes it as like you're playing a role you're like mm. You are an actor being Arthur Morgan. You need to hit your beats and you can't like <laughs> deviate from whatever path Rockstar has given you. But in between those missions, I do think it's kind of a perfect open world game because um, everything else is almost freeform. Like all the side missions, you will just stumble upon naturally. Yeah, yeah. It will reward you for exploring. Um, but with Starfield, at least from the early goings that I'm at, and that was a strange sentence. <laughs> um, it feels like everything is free form. It feels yes. like, yeah, I have main missions that I can do, but the game is encouraging me at every step to, mm. you know, check this out. For all of last night that I played it, which for like four or five hours, I didn't do a single side mission. I didn't do a single right. main mission. I was just ex- randomly exploring Mars, literally one world and its moon, admittedly. Mm-hmm. And I just 
enjoyed it because, you know, there was nothing within the text itself saying, good job, you know, you've uh, <laughs> you've ticked this off the list. You've, you've Find gotten, 10 of these. Yeah, you've gotten 500 XP for doing this mission. It was just all player-driven. Mm. And then I came in this morning just as satisfied as I was the night before mm. when I was just doing side mission after side mission. That's Yeah, that's the thing where it's that, it's just, like I said, to me, it's, it's trusting the player, but it's also making sure that you know when it's okay to deviate and when it's okay to walk away and which bits you can poke product like um i'm not gonna do spoilers for starfield missions but there is a bank robbery mission that like as a setup is like very very interesting there's different ways you can do it and ways that you might think oh well i wonder if i go around the side and do this instead can i do that um yes you can and like i like the fact that it's not necessarily um you know directly like rewarding that but it's like the fact that you can poke and prod it a set of ai scripts and be like okay that's that's the guy taking the hostages that's the negotiator that's whatever um and do it in a, in a custom order that like any other bigger dev um, sorry, not so bigger, but any more more regimented dev or, or whatever it is would make it, okay, you talk to this guy, then you do this, and then the branching path is here, and then one of two things happens, yeah. as opposed to the way that Bethesda do things, or it seems like Larry and uh, do in Baldur's Gate as well, um, is just you go through that in whatever order you want, and that beautiful falling down the stairs mentality, yes. you all arrive at the bottom anyway. How do you feel, I think I've, you've kind of already summed it up, how do you feel about so much in Starfield being kind of miss- missable and kind of optional? Because is there a fear that you can kind of like miss chunks <laughs> of the best content in the game because it's kind of mm. hidden almost. Like I did a mission the other night on Mars that started out so simple that I almost ignored it. It was literally find or mine 10 bits of iron. Yes, and, yeah. you know, if I was in another mindset on another night, I might have just thought, well, that's a boring mission. Mm-hmm. I won't do that. That's but, precisely why I didn't do that. Well, there you go. But locked behind that step one is a great multi-mission arc that was incredible. One of the most memorable memorable ones I've had. But right. I imagine, like yourself, a lot of people will just say, that's boring. I've got an entire universe to, to explore. I'm not going to do that mm. for the potential hope that it's got something rewarding afterwards. It's weird because I... Um, no, I do. I, I love it and respect it on Bethesda's part. I think they could do a better job at um, giving you like a more propulsive... Uh, reason to explore at the very, very beginning. Uh, we talked about this on the other podcast, but I think the opening, nearly everyone's now saying this, like scouring the Reddits, looking at people's first impressions as more people get access to the game. It's nearly all, it doesn't get good for about five hours, yeah. which was the exact point where things clicked for me as well. And it sucks that you kind of have to accept that to a degree. It's not that there's nothing to love at all in the first five hours. Um, and it's five hours as well. We're talking about one and a half Lord of the Rings movies almost. That's true, yeah. So that's always my comparison for stuff. But um, but yeah, it's one of those things where I ultimately do respect it. I try and think about the game more holistically. I don't want to see every last thing on my first playthrough. I do think of this as a new Skyrim. I want to go back to this for another 10 years or 20 years or the rest of my life and not see every single bit of it. So I think the only way to make it feel that grand is to make you feel like you're missing out on something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to make it so that the person you're talking to knows something you don't, which is the reality of living in this world. And I like that there. Well, it's kind of like even moving away from conventional RPGs for a second. It's mm. kind of why the original Dark Souls got so big because its world was so um, obtuse mm-hmm. and its law was so obfuscated that, you know, the developers encouraged you to go online to mm-hmm. discuss it, to kind of piece it together as a community rather than just like um, one grand canvas that you can totally decipher on one playthrough, Definitely. you know, and this is kind of a similar vibe where mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll miss a bunch of stuff, I'm sure you'll miss a bunch of stuff, and at the end of the day when we have our finished save files, we'll be able to come in and then probably write lists about all of the stuff <laughs> you miss and uh, things that you need to go back and revisit to find. Tips and tricks coming soon, Absolutely, my friend. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think that the way that there's only the the feel of a Bethesda game is so unique and it's like I think even they got I would I would argue they got away from it in Fallout 4 and I know that's going to be a big discussion we're going to do more stuff on that or it'll come up in different podcasts and things anyway um I really hated Fallout 4 because they tried to railroad you down a specific path where it felt like they did I know you I know I, I totally get pushing back against that but I felt railroaded and I hated the dialogue system for what it what was even barely there um giving you all these uh, prompts and sarcasm and everything else I just didn't feel like I could get invested in it it felt like it was always pulling away and going in a different direction and saying the wrong thing or whatever. Starfield feels like such a return to Skyrim and such a reminder of that completely open-ended nature where they have built a toy box or a sandbox for you to just just 
I was going to swear that F around it <laughs> and, uh, and see what happens. And it's like, that was always the beauty of Bethesda. It wasn't about trying to curate us. It was mm. about making a world and letting us loose in it. Yes. And it's like, I love that they kind of rediscovered that. And it's all, they, they uh, this feels more open than Fallout does. Fallout 4 Oh, does. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's the thing that I'm absolutely loving about it. Ah, see, that's where I wouldn't completely disagree. You know, I really loved Fallout 4, like genuinely. Mm. I think I'm one of the probably biggest defenders <laughs> of that game. Uh-huh. I thought it continued what Bethesda established but it certainly did uh, peel back some of the things I liked about that company. I thought the focus on uh, base building, even if though mm. it was you know, mostly optional, was a misstep. I thought, like you said, the dialogue system wasn't great, took a lot of choice out of the um, missions and how you can construct your character. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. However, honestly, although they have made some improvements, Starfield doesn't really remedy all of that right. for me personally. I still find... The builds that you can make in terms of like the combat builds, builds incredibly limiting. Mm. And even though I think I said this on the other podcast, while they have switched back to a mute protagonist, mm. the options that I get still aren't that varied. Don't allow me to go down many different mm. avenues with conversations. And I was thinking about what they've done, how they've butchered my boy <laughs> um, in terms of the perk system and the skill trees, right. because that it feels that feels like a big step backwards as well, where you don't get sometimes what I would view as essential perks Mm. until you've gotten quite considerably through the game. Like the fact that you can't, for instance, pickpocket straight away like you can in the Bethesda games, it's a small change. I thought you could do the thief perk. Well, that's what I mean. You need to get the perk. Oh, Yeah, you need to get the perk before you can pickpocket. And it's stuff like that, you know? Mm. You need to... um, get another perk before you can bribe someone. It's just a slow rollout, and it's kind of compartmentalizing, for me, the already limited amount of build variety and role-playing available. And I think it's not a deal-breaker because at this point, that's kind of not even what I go to Bethesda Mm. for. I Mm. go to Bethesda for what you mentioned, to live in a world and to have this expanse to explore Mm. rather than... It's more about the breadth than the depth in a way, Mm. but it's still a shame because especially like when Baldur's is working so well, I kind of would have liked Starfield to be as big as it is, but also um, re-embrace those mm. classical RPG elements. It's so weird because, like, in that specific, I wouldn't even have noticed that. I forgot that you can just pickpocket from the off, like from the jump in the other ones. Yeah. So I actually quite like that they've gated that because then you're choosing to unlock that perk and choosing to roleplay and go down that way. Mm. I quite like that you start as a blanker slate in this and then choose how you want to mold yourself. And um, I think that forces you to to then to build in a way that I guess you. It's weird that my starting dude in Fallout Four could pickpocket. Right. Like, right. Why would they be able to know how to do? That. Hey, you don't have to be good at it, though. That's the thing. You can start <laughs> as a pickpocket and fall out for being be crap, and you can oh, fail yeah. every single time. To me, it's just like, like I said, it's it's a, it's a minor feature at mm. the end of the day, but to me, it's indicative of a bigger, not issue, but change in direction because, you know, to me, pickpocket pick, pickpocketing is like the basic sort of mechanic when it comes mm. to being a thief, right? Yes. And I'd want to see, ideally, them double down with other thief based um, abilities to mm. build on that rather mm. than make what is kind of a boring mechanic anyway in the other games like a special unlock. I'd rather you right. start with that and then be able to um, really hone in on that style of play with other more interesting mm. mechanics rather than taking things that were the norm in previous games mm. and now saying, oh, that's an unlock. You kind of have to spec towards that. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. It does yeah. feel a little bit li- limiting to me. You definitely could start out, like you said, fumbling through it, getting it wrong, but sticking at it and getting experience anyway. I think that's how they did in Skyrim. It was like, do yeah. it enough that you eventually break through. Um, but yeah, the, the way that so far, the way that Starfield's approached me making a character has, has totally worked for me. It's not like I'm going in, like most, basically what I'm saying is when I want to tell a character to shut up or I'm sick of their S, I can. Um, and when I want to be friendly with someone, I can. I've been able to call stuff out when I've wanted to. I had one thing uh, not work, and I'll, I'll not do specifics because it's it's not a spoiler, but it's just the way a quest goes, where um, something involving one of these quests involved an amount of money, and I thought that amount of money would be reflected in dialogue later, mm. and it just wasn't. Mm. And when I tried to do something that would force that reflection, the character didn't like what I was saying, and I was like, but you, before, you were fine with this. <laughs> and so uh, that was a bit weird, but I was like, I guess because the earlier thing was a choice, and this is all really vague, um, the later dialogue was written in a way that didn't have to acknowledge that. So yes. it's just a, sometimes it's, I, it's always a thing where I always appreciate what they're building. I think that's another thing with Fallout 4 is that it just felt like too much of the same thing. Mm. Whereas like this, it is like unbelievable and monolithic what they've built. Yeah. Like I, I see the, the craftsmanship in a way that I didn't in Fallout 4. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like Fallout 4 was definitely safe. Like yeah, I liked yeah. it, but it wasn't, 
when Fallout 3 dropped, it genuinely changed my life. Like, it was mm. incredible. I had never really experienced that kind of brand of post-apocalyptic fiction before. It made me seek out similar media of its mm-hmm. kind, whereas Fallout 4 was... This is great. It's more of the same. Like, it was the like base made... building additions to me weren't that mm. um, amazing, and the stuff they rolled back was disappointing. So I was like, ooh, I need <laughs> you to make some changes in Fallout 5. It is very... It's almost... This is a charged comparison, but it's the Mass Effect three to Mass Effect two of Fallout's. That's brutal. Where it's like, let's make a one of the a one of these for a bigger audience. Let's smooth the edges. Let's like you know, let's make it work for a bigger audience, and we'll we'll give it the, the uh, spoken protagonist, and we'll give you like easier dialogue options, and we'll have less permutations in terms of the ways that those quests can go. Um, and we'll stick to our guns. And we'll we'll just do more Fallout. And I think at the time, because of how long it took between those games, like between numbered Fallouts, it was like seven years. Yeah. Um, it really stood out. Whereas like in this, obviously it's like eight years since Fallout Four. Um, they just have this completely open ended feel that feels like incredible, just because of how big the whole sandbox you're playing around in is. Yeah. And it feels distinguished in that way. It's not like it's it feels. I mean, it's obviously it's a new IP, like, but it's just the size of it. They've never done a procedurally generated universe before. No. Uh, with actually like full cities and things like that. I agree with what you said before about like you know appreciating the scope and how it stitched mm. together way more because you know I have my problems with the game mm-hmm. and I think it probably comes across that I'm like making excuses for it almost, but right. that's like not the, not the case at all. I don't think it's just that I appreciate what they have achieved so much that the other stuff almost doesn't matter because mm. what they have nailed works on such a high level for me that it's just I couldn't imagine enjoying a game more in a lot of ways because mm. the scope is so big, because it imbues me with such a particular feeling that I haven't gotten since Skyrim. Yeah, since that's my thing. Fallout New Vegas or something, you mm-hmm. know, and when I'm faced with literally the grandiosity of the universe, I don't mind that it's stitched together a little pool right, or right. I have to sit through three loading screens. Would I prefer to not have them? Of course, but there's no other game where I would experience what's what Starfield is giving me in mm. terms of a tone and an atmosphere and the quest that I'm getting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with that as well. Obviously, No Man's Sky probably beats it in terms of space flight. Or no Man's Sky doesn't have the authored but, stuff. But yeah, it doesn't yeah. have the authored stuff. And ultimately, it's the authored stuff that's making me love the game so mm-hmm. much. For me, there's enough of the open-ended, I'm just lost in space vibe that then makes the authored stuff stand out even more. Again, we mentioned this on the other podcast, but you need the negative space for the the solid stuff, the positivity stuff to be registered and to, to make a grand city that you stumble upon or, or find on a random planet more worthwhile um, no Man's Sky. They brought in more authored stuff over time, but it's no, it's nothing compared to how much is written for this. Yeah. Um, and how many actual characters are here? Um, like not, I love Nada and Polo in No Man's Sky, which are these two kind of like alien beings that you find um, in one of the space stations. But again, it's a, it's a, it's nothing compared to mm. this. Like it's uh, they're coming at it from different um, sides, even though they do have like overlap. But um, it's one of those things where like, like, like I said, it's a new IP. It's the first time they've tried something like new mechanically in terms of procedurally generating a universe and stuff. But it makes me look at it in the same way I did with Red Dead Redemption Two, where mm. I'm like, only Bethesda can do this. Yeah. And I wonder how, I wonder what version of this we would have got if. The Xbox acquisition didn't happen. I wonder, um, you know, would it be more buggy because they didn't have um, help with, if however much Xbox's engineers helped with this to get it over the finish line? Would it have been a buggier product if it was on PS- PlayStation 5 as well? Would the budgetary side of it have changed? Yeah. Would they have cut something short? Like, Xbox need this in a way, in a huge way. Um, but it just, like I said, it makes me look at something like uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 as well and go, we're never going to get another one of them. Right, and it's funny right, because right. obviously we're, we just recorded the news today about how Red Dead 3 is in development, which is hilarious. Go watch the video. Um, but I just don't think you'll get that mix of author authorship or authoredness and um, freeform exploration. I think yeah. somewhere along the way, some money man will come in and go, you can't do that. That's not safe. It's interesting when you say, like, Xbox needed this, which they definitely did, by the way. You know, we've not been this excited. We've not talked this much about an Xbox exclusive. Maybe in the entirety of my tenure at this job, I don't think. No, I honestly, like, to be completely brazen about it, if we're just going to talk about Xbox stuff, I don't think they've had a a full-on people asking me whether they should buy an Xbox game uh, since I don't even know when, like not the Xbox One generation. No. It's, it's before then. Well, yeah. you have to go back b- more than 10 years. Nah, I like, agree. I've always had the consoles. I've bought the Xbox One. I've been with them since the beginning of the original Xbox, but there is nothing in the last 10 plus years that compared with when Gears of War was dropping no. or when the first Fable was dropping. 
um, or like Halo's run. Like where that's what we're talking about. This is back up there. Absolutely. And they've bought their way there. Yeah. They've bought the, they've just gone like, just give it to us. Like this is an Xbox thing now. Um, but it is up there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, they always did that. Even back in the <laughs> days go, yeah, of like yeah, yeah. Epic and Gears, that wasn't their thing necessarily. That You're doing was that like thing for else. Halo for the Mac, or you know yeah. it's an Xbox game now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. good at sometimes identifying like <laughs> what works and what doesn't. Uh, but all I was going to say was like, yes, Xbox needed this, but I also think Bethesda needed this. Like, obviously, yeah. I've been with them all the way through the company. I didn't doubt that this was going to be good because I really enjoyed Fallout 4. But after the disaster of 76, I think there were a lot of people rightly saying, and, you know, the sort of midness that <laughs> some people thought of uh, Fallout 4. I think a lot of people were like, well, we've got great RPGs now. We've got CD Projekt Red who have just come up and defined themselves. Mm. And I'm talking pre-Cyberpunk here. By yeah, the way. yeah. Like, in the glow of The Witcher 3, mm-hmm. which came out the same year as Fallout 4 and sort of just stole its thunder, didn't mm-hmm. it? Um, I think people were saying, well, you know, we've kind of moved on from Bethesda games. Like, we don't, agree with this clunk we won't put right. up bugs at all mm. i feel like starfield you know they need it they needed it if, if it was another mess i think it would have taken them maybe 10 years to recover mm. with an elder scroll 6 or whatever mm. but thankfully you know i know there's been some backlash to the game there's been more tepid reviews than maybe they were expecting but playing it it feels like a bethesda game and yeah. it's just like it reminds you why you had such confidence in the first place and it reminds you why you fell in love with skyrim to begin with back then in the same way that it kind of gives you more confidence in Xbox and their approach because it's like finally you have a game that's in the conversation that's vying for a game of the year contendership and is a reason why people want to buy Xboxes. I tell you what as well like speaking of the game of the year stuff it's so easy when you're playing through a new game that is hitting you with all the new ideas the new mechanics the sheen the level of production whatever to be like oh my god it's game of the year yeah. it's like it's an easy thing to default to and we re- you know, reconsider it later in the year or whatever this has to be and I guess we'll see how it feels across the rest of the game the most impressive game that I've played this year um, Tears of the Kingdom is the other one I think in terms of just the sheer the, uh, the game's matrix the amount of different points that are all talking to each other in terms of the physics objects, how they stitch together, the different things that you can make and the way that you then use them in the mission design. And it all talks to each other and it works and there's a harmony there. Um, Starfield is less harmonious sometimes in oh, terms absolutely. of the, the glitches, the bugs, whatever it is. Um, but it's it's just the scale of it. And it's one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, 
no one makes games like this anymore because they're really hard. <laughs> and uh, and we've got two of them, but they're both set over about eight-year dev times. Um, Larian took forever. There was an early access version of Baldur's Gate 3. And then Starfield, um, we found the old part, the old post that What Culture had in 2017 of when we first started covering it, um, when it was leaked on 4chan. Um, but still, that's six years ago, and it was in progress back then anyway. These games are extremely hard to do. And yes. the fact that you've pulled one off does make me, does reinforce the fact that when I'm playing through Starfield, I'm like, this actually could be game of the year yeah. because they're largely nailing a bar that no one is even attempting anymore. Yeah. Like, and there was one of the things, it's a, it's a weird feeling that I have when we were covering this, or the, the industry across the year, where it was like, oh my God, it's this incredible year for gaming. And I'm like, yeah, it is. The variety is great. We've got everything from, from Street Fighter 6 to Dead Space and little small games like Humanity and Viewfinder. But nothing, Viewfinder more so in terms of blowing me away nothing at a certain budgetary level was doing anything new. Mm. And it was like your refining formula. Dead Space is great, but I know what it is. And like, this is one of those things where it's blowing me away in like a completely mechanical gameplay first, player driven, you trust me to play this way. Yeah. And like, that's really special. And yeah. it's like, I almost given up that the industry could even do this anymore. It's, it's, it's such a weird one, right? Because I think you could look at Starfield and kind of judge it uh, is less than like the sum of its parts mm. almost. You can look at the cutter, you can look at the mining and say, that's from No Man's Sky. You yes. can look at the space travel and say, that's not as good as No Man's Sky. You There's can a lot look of no at Man's this Sky, and just say it's it's Skyrim with a skin. You know, you can look at the invisible walls, which people are really obsessed with, by the way, that I've not looked to, to that. yet, yeah, by yeah, yeah. the way, and be like, well, it's limiting. It's not as big as it seems. And I just think, I honestly think like not to, you know, just slag off anyone else's opinion, but I almost <laughs> wonder if you're like you're missing the forest for the trees yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. There's a lot of trees that you might smash into on the way, but <laughs> that forest is beautiful. Yeah. And fortunately, I feel lucky that I'm able to kind of see it in totality and be blown away by it. Um, There's something worth saying there about when you. It was like when they, in the run up to No Man's Sky, there was so much mystery on how have they done this? Yeah. Um, because and it was one of the most hypeable things about how have they built a galaxy? And obviously, Sean. Not Sean Layden. No, it dudes. is Sean Murray. Sean Murray was out there saying, like, look, we've procedurally generated this entire universe and like, so many different planets, 60, 70,000 planets, etc." And that the fact that we didn't know how they'd done it yeah. and other game devs didn't know how they'd done it, that was one of the coolest things about it. There's something about when you finally present it to the public where they need to prove it. And I mm. totally get it. Mm -hmm. I get the, like, it's like a scientifically minded thing. Like, you want to see the seams. Like, it's that thing where you look at a game and when does the rendered, like you said, a forest, when does the rendered forest become the skybox? Yeah. When it becomes the, the back texture. And it's like, okay, that's how they did it. Okay, cool. I can, I can keep going now. And it's like, and Starfield's having its moment with that because yeah. people have realized that the game's planets are made up of tiles and each tile is about the size of Skyrim and, and they all stitch together and you can see where they stitch. And I was like, I didn't need to know that. I appreciate it. I, mm -hmm. I, at some point you're just telling me that Bethesda are still human. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Mean, yeah, yeah. I, I can still be in awe of the whole thing. Um, but it is interesting because it's like, it's, people need to chase that because it's so impressive. Absolutely. And you know what? I think... I think it is, you know, a thing that Bethesda games have already been lumped with. And I can totally, I understand why uh, people don't like past Bethesda games. Like, I can yeah. understand why they get caught up in all of these issues and are just like, nah, that's ruining my experience. Mm. Because, you know, I could say that I think Skyrim is a magical game, but I can point at it and go, those bugs suck. The combat <laughs> isn't for me. It's yes. way too floaty. Like the, That man's not got a gun. That man's not got a gun. It, the, the way the dialogue is handed is not great. You know what I mean? Like there's all of these things you can point mm. to, but again, it's not even, it's again, it's not, I don't think it's making excuses for Skyrim because yes, it has its issues, but what it's going for and what it achieves on that grander scale has always been so impressive and mm -hmm. so kind of pushing the medium forward, like you mentioned, and it offers something that no one else is doing or people might try to grasp and can't quite achieve that. Mm -hmm. that I think that's where I kind of come down in it. Like, yes, of course it has problems, but who else is doing this? Who well, else is delivering a kind of experience like this kind of right now? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I like almost get as, as specific about it as a specific feeling that games give, the best games give you where you're completely lost in them and you're not thinking about the technical side of it. Mm. It's part of why I hate all the worrying about the, the different sliders and the graphics options. I just want to play the thing. I want to get lost in it. I want to have that feeling where I'm completely immersed in it. I want that symbiotic connection with whatever's on screen. Yeah. And it, it is getting lost in that. And there is something about it's like the, the magical feeling of it or whatever, where you're completely lost in a world and you're not thinking about, oh, well, that's where that tile ends. That's where the biome stops. Okay, I heard it click the next music track in because yeah. I walked over this boundary or whatever and just living that life in that game. Um, and like I said, so many games, especially in 2023, they're phenomenal, but we know what 
what they are. We know, yeah. how, we know, quote unquote, how they've been made. And I don't mean that you know how to code. I just mean you can see the parts, the character models. They're fighting each other. It's Street Fighter. Like it's just one of those things where you, the amount of inner workings happening in Starfield. Yeah. Like that's what I can't even comprehend. How did that character keep track of that thing and then know where to go? How does this universe actually make sense? That's the the really incredible stuff. I get it, man. I, I totally do. I think you know. I think to a certain extent, all video games are kind of performing a magic trick, right? Mm. And, you know... The best ones are. Whether they kind of pull that off and manage to convince you of the illusion will vary person to person. Um, And Bethesda certainly drop a lot of cards when they're trying (laughs) to perform this magic trick, but... They managed to pull it off in a way for me where I'm like, fine, you know, yeah. it still works even if you might have dropped that ace of spades on the floor. I still believe in it. I still yeah. buy into it. I'm still fully on board with what you have to offer that, like you said, when when you kind of hit those hiccups that kind of maybe offer a roadblock to the barrier, it's like, no, because I still don't know how you did this. I still yes. don't know how you've accomplished that. You're still providing me with enough magic within this experience that it kind of offsets mm-hmm. the other stuff. Again, sounds like I'm making a lot of excuses. My well, that's entirely you, what it though, is, yeah. If you would permit me to slightly move on. Of course. Is that, what the hell's Bethesda going to do next? Because they have <laughs> three franchises now, Scott Telford. They've got Starfield, they've got The Elder Scrolls, they've got Fallout. Yeah. And it's going to take like five or six years, if not longer, to keep making sequels to these games. And I don't think I can personally live in a world where I don't get another Starfield for 20 years or another Fallout for 15 years. It's just too long and I want to maybe see other people dabble within these universes that they've kicked off. Over the years, they've hardly ever given the IP to different people. Like, it's Mm -hmm. sort of like, obviously Fallout New Vegas, Obsidian, um, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel, I forget what you call the devs that did that, Um, the top-down, like, melee one that also had some RPG elements and stuff in it. I think, was that not... It was someone known, yeah. I think, yeah, who was, who was that? <laughs> That's going to haunt me. Wait a minute, I'm just going to literally on a podcast, Brotherhood of Steel, developers, excuse me while I, Interplay Entertainment. Oh, it was them. It was, oh, it was just them. them. Yeah, developed yeah. and published by Interplay. Yeah. So, um, that so was still, the console one, right? This yes. is so messy now. That was one that you tried no, to get, like, the console market. They'd all be scratching their heads wondering who developed Fallout Brotherhood of Steel anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously Interplay, uh, Black Isle, you've got all the sort of origins of Fallout. You've got the different ways that it was handled over the years and stuff. But I don't see Bethesda giving it to anyone else personally. Right. I think that it depends what they're going for. If they wanted to do a Fallout shooter where you play as a Brotherhood of Steel member and um, where you set something else in Starfield where maybe you play as, I forget what you call the dudes that worship the giant snake in Starfield. Oh, yes, yeah, the Vardur yeah, yeah. Va or whatever. If you play it as one of them or something, I feel like the weight and the majesty of Bethesda is in taking your time. They are, they encapsulate the sentiment that Strauss Zelnick said, take two Strauss Zelnick, when he said the GTA is GTA because they take their time yeah. and it's a big deal when a GTA drops and you get one, now anyway, you get one every 10 years. Um, and I think you do need to let the IP rest. In Bethesda's case, I feel like people know Bethesda more than they, um, or about the same as they know Elder Scrolls and Fallout. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, the new Bethesda thing. What I wonder what Bethesda's doing now. And I think that brings people in. Um, and so I, I want them to just keep a hold of their stuff. Yeah. And I just, I don't know what you would do. Like I said, I don't know what other genres you would do, um, unless you did it more like Gears Tactics and do something more like that. Well, I guess, you know, and I'm not even necessarily saying that I want this, though I cause selfishly too, because I want yeah. more Fallout especially, but I was thinking like Obsidian with Fallout New Vegas, like oh, give it to totally a good. similar studio, give it the same engine, mm. um, and just produce like a spin-off or maybe even a big expansion. I know we're going to get expansions for Starfield anyway, but mm-hmm. something within the framework that you've established already, a side story, just right. like give us a little bit of a taste. And I'm not saying like every two years or even every three or four years. <laughs> I just mean if it's going to take 15 years to the next Starfield, if in seven mm. we get a spin-off by an well, Obsidian or someone adjacent or even a second Bethesda team, I wouldn't say no because it'll tie no, me over. It's a really good point. I mean, obviously there was there's so much, I guess you would call it bad blood or just the way that it all went down with Obsidian oh, and, yeah. and New Vegas and then internally they were denied a bonus and they were crunched and they turned the game around so, so fast. And obviously a lot of people love it, but the development was horrible. I think they made it in like 18 months. Yeah. Something crazy. Something like ludicrous. That. And that game did launch buggy AF. For, you know, they just didn't have time to optimize it. Um, and so I wonder how many of Obsidian's long form people are just like, we don't ever want to go anywhere near this again. Yeah. But at the same time, they are also owned by the same parent company as Bethesda. Um, and some of the bigger veterans at Obsidian are now doing um, Outer Worlds and everything. I was just about to say, I bet they're fuming. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were bought before Bethesda, and the assumption was like, oh, now Microsoft has a team. Now mm. it has, with the resources now, to go toe-to-toe with Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Outer Worlds 2, absolutely buzzing for it. It's going to be a Skyrim, comp- uh, a Starfield competitor. Mm. 
And now Microsoft owns both, and we've got <sighs> these two big space RPGs coming out. To I know they're fair, very different in terms of tone and presentation, mm-hmm. but they're quite similar in terms of gameplay. No, totally. I was going to say, to be fair, Outer Worlds is, is pretty much what a Obsidian DLC for Starfield would be anyway. Like True. There are tonal changes, but there's enough serious stuff in Outer Worlds, enough decisions that you make that would... It, obviously, that's what they were aiming for anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's very easy to forget about Outer Worlds um, in the, the shadow of Starfield because of how big Bethesda are. Um, but yeah, I, in terms of what they do next, it's like, obviously, they've said that it going to do Elder Scrolls, but it's just like, that's such a, I, I, I can't imagine how much um, fortitude it takes to get through a development cycle like this and to do them consecutively. Like Bruce Straley, after doing, um, there was like Uncharted 3, uh, sorry, Uncharted 2, 3, Last of Us, and Uncharted 4 was like, I'm done yeah. uh, from Naughty Dog. And was like, I am taking a sabbatical. I'm, I just, I need a minute because we've done like four of these devs in a yes. row. And all of that was about was a was a, about a um, an eight year period, but still, we're talking about almost eight year dev cycles in a row for yeah. like thirty years now. And Todd Howard and Pete Hines, they've been around for a long time, and maybe that means that they just have so many systems in place that they can afford to restore their humanity enough. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Don't know like how you go from a big project like this, it ships, you wait like a week. Yeah. And you go, right, guys, let, okay, next one, let's go. Like, we've got another well, I mean, eight years. Literally, uh, like when they were saying, you know, Fallout, uh, no, Fallout, Elder Scrolls 6 is officially in production now, guys. It's just like- the next day. Amazing, like we've just got Starfield <laughs> over the line. It's like Why one of those, did you like, announce this game five years ago? Why yeah. did you do this? It's like one of those mining, or one of those things that you have in like a retail shop or like a construction site where it's like days f- um, from incident and it yeah, just counts yeah, up yeah, and it's yeah. like days since we started a game and it just resets again and it's got to go from the beginning again question yes i know i keep throwing questions your way i like system um, of the down give me a question uh, <laughs> 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 they have a so called question question yeah question good question uh, good i know on. we talk about this all the time we've been talking about it literally since like skyrim mm. if not uh before i don't know when this engine actually the thing is, I don't know when this podcast started. It was 10 years ago. I don't know when this podcast started, to be honest. Um, <laughs> what do they do going forward with the creation engine? Because that oh, thing is, it, kill it. It's creaky. Yeah. Like like, like you were saying there, though, these games take so long to develop. Mm. Do they have time to also postpone the Elder Scrolls Six to create a whole new engine? Because that's well, going to take a lot of time. And you've heard so many horror stories about the team building the engine while building the game. That just seems like a nightmare in and of itself. True. I, I don't know what they do with that. I, I mean, the, the, you look at Outer Worlds. Like, that is a very similar feeling game into, to a Bethesda game. And that is, I can't even think what you... It is Obsidian who did that. I was trying to think if it was a, a spin-off or whatever. But um, that felt a lot like what a polished, a more polished Bethesda game would feel like. Still some holes in there, but the facial animation was better. And just the general movement, the shooting was way weightier, yeah. I thought. General movement was just a lot more satisfying. Um, so I would just sack off the creation engine. They know because they're in the warm bosom of Phil Spencer that they have time. Right. Um, and I think it's one of those things where he knows, Phil Spencer should know, and Xbox in a wider sense should know that when ex- when Elder Scrolls Six launches as an exclusive, it will make back whatever money you put into it. Yeah. And so it is better waiting, developing the new engine from scratch with all the money in the world, and then nailing the next Elder Scrolls and the next Fallout. It's a good point. I mean, if you think of the amount of people who are buying Xboxes to play a Starfield, you can double that, if not yeah. triple it, for the Elder Scrolls, like <laughs> one of the most yeah. anticipated games of all time uh-huh. at this point. That's their GTA Six, and it's exclusive. Exactly right. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, take take your time. And I know you've already taken a lot of time, yes. but you know, make that thing magnificent. Make that thing so watertight it, it can't get a single seven out of ten in sight. <laughs> <laughs> Slap IGN for it. I think um yeah, th- for me, like Fallout 4 was the last time they could have used that stuff, and then they've done it again. And yeah. I remember when it was years ago, like I said, we've been covering this for six years in terms of Starfield, but it was mentioned that Starfield would have the creation engine again. And the wave of oh my god, it's gonna have the same feel that uh, washed over me. Um, and it does. It still it still does have the same kind of feel. I think in this case, because so much of it has been bug tested, so much more. I love Pete, Pete Hines himself saying that it's the most bug free Bethesda game. Yeah. Um, it does feel like the most polished one they've done. Um, it's a low bar in terms of technical polish. <laughs> it um, is. But still, doesn't break the PlayStation. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, doesn't, doesn't break the PlayStation console, and you can play it for longer than twenty minutes without it dying anyway. Yeah. Um, not unilaterally. Some people reporting that it is crashing for them. But oh, great. Still. Yeah. Um, 
that's just one of those things where it's like you just get rid of all those issues by getting rid of the creation thing. And I, I couldn't believe that they did another their newest IP on the same engine. I mm. get the budgetary side of it, and maybe that's the only way you get this game is by using an engine that you've had for more than ten years. But yeah, still, yeah, it is interesting. I think um, what you said earlier about them, you know, now obviously being a part of Microsoft, and what would this game have looked like if that acquisition didn't come through? Mm. Would they have tried to push it out for the uh, previous release date, which was last year? Would it be mm. more buggy? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I obviously no one can answer that but it does raise questions of like how much did they need this when they were more independent when they mm. were like really relying on Bethesda's next game they were relying on Elder Scrolls they were relying on Air Fallout to mm. kind of you know well, the thing keep is, the like, money coming in now they're part of this conglomerate do they have more time is that just wishful thinking on my mm. behalf will they be able to put more R&D into the engine will they be able to kind of um, shift costs from the way they've been working do they even want to do that they <laughs> might not even want to they might think it's been successful I don't mm. know I like, all the time you're going to, you know, be brought to what ifs yes. when we're talking about acquisitions of this scale, but it doesn't make them any less fascinating. Well, the way about. that things are at the minute, if you watch, and I totally recommend uh, Double Fine's documentary making Psychonauts 2, it's called Psycho Odyssey. Um, when they, in the bit in that documentary where they're like two or three years into development, everything's falling apart, and then they get bought, they get bought out by Xbox. And the wave of relief that comes from just knowing they have the money to finish the project and the conversations—they're very fly on the wall for the conversations that happen there. And Matt Booty's in it, obviously he's Xbox's head guy, one of the Xbox head guys, and whatever. All those conversations are very open about like we're just going to give you money to be on Game Pass because mm. the value is that you guys are on Game Pass. I firmly think that they are in the honeymoon phase of Game Pass at the minute, and even the other week we reported on the prices going up. Yeah, that's going to change massively going forward so at the minute it's all step on board you can make whatever you want we'll fund it look at all this money we got we just want new game we want to be able to say that we have double fines new game we want to be able to say that we have yeah. bethesda's new game and we'll worry about the financials later where ultimately they're still microsoft and um, but phil spencer himself said they had to fight for the viability of the xbox brand in 2014 well, because of how bad the xbox one bombed so uh, for now you just enjoy it and yeah. i think that that means that the biggest most endless dream games get greenlit and they'll figure it out in five years time good point good point i guess you know knowing this industry and <laughs> knowing how many um developers have been acquired previously and then shut down i mean just look at what happens with their volition last mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. you know bought by embracer shut down pretty much unceremoniously overnight because mm-hmm. a deal fell through like what happens if a deal falls through with microsoft yeah. and they say we need to cut costs they're looking at the gaming division they're thinking all those developers are an albatross around my neck sell them off Cut, the, cut them out, Embracer know? is what ga- the Game Pass acquisition spree could have been. Mm-hmm. Like, if it wasn't Microsoft at the very top. Yeah. If that was, if, like, well, it's clear. Like, if that was a different third party and they that weird reality of the Embracer thing hinging on some billion-dollar deal to actually secure the money for the amount of things that they'd done yeah. fell through and it all just went sideways. It was like, well, this was teetering anyway. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. You make so many acquisitions and so many IP promises. It's really easy for them to go sideways if the mm-hmm. actual foundations aren't there. At least the foundations are there with this thing. Um, but I, I think it's Phil Spencer. I think he pretty much does to Bethesda what uh, Sony did with Kojima. And it's just so like, we've got Hideo Kojima's next game. Do whatever you want. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. For now. And then I think it'll get more restrained as we go forward. I, I Like you said, it's the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that... Who was it? It was the it was someone on Xbox who said like this is the starting gun for the exclusives yeah, going yeah. forwards. It does feel like that, and I just hope they don't squander the momentum. I hope <laughs> the next exclusive that we get isn't another Redfall. I hope yeah. it's probably won't be another Starfield, but I hope this is an indication that the company is moving in the right direction and all the moves they've made over the past 10 years are actually coming to fruition and giving people reasons to buy Xboxes mm. and good games to talk about on podcasts like this. <laughs> it's one of those things where like, um, it's ho- like the whole idea of the starting pistol or whatever is um, you know, the Xbox brand going forward. They've acquired so many different things. There are so many companies now, uh, studios, that are under the Xbox banner that are now default Xbox first party games. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a level of like optics to that, that doesn't really compute. Like Double Fine are an Xbox studio, but they're still Double Fine. It's still Tim Schafer. Yeah. He's just doing his own thing apart from his money get, comes from somewhere else now. Yeah. And it's like, that's interesting per studio because Phil Spencer's whole thing was we're not going to get that involved. That's why Redfall was allowed to be on fire because we're not going to step in. Um, but that was obviously the conversation was maybe you should have yes. because then it's it's not good enough to represent Game Pass. You know, on top of that, I suppose we're still, we haven't really seen 
sort of clean slate from these studios releasing games that were entirely developed after they were bought by Microsoft. Like you mentioned True. there, Psychonauts 2, like obviously dropped on Game Pass, but that also released on PlayStation. It was yeah, like a multi-platform yeah. game. You know, mm. Starfield obviously is exclusive, but that was in development way before that acquisition happened. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, it feels like we've already been waiting ages, but we're going to have to wait <laughs> a little bit longer to see what these games look like. I think Avowed is your first big one. Yeah, I think yeah. Avowed, I think that's... Oh, even then, though, was that in development before the acquisition? Was that Did that come afterwards? Mm. Was the Outer Worlds 2 in development before? Like, mm. you've got all of these games, all of these projects, video game development takes time, and in the grand scheme of things, the acquisitions that Microsoft made, was rel- they were all relatively recent. Oh, yeah, that's true. Obviously going to get Activision Blizzard on top of that, so it's going to be a while until tell we you see what, a, all Microsoft future, I think. Yeah, I'll tell you what would have been the first major uh, project that was greenlit after the acquisitions or the amount of money put in into the Xbox Series X, etc. It'd be the perfect dark quadruple yeah, A game, yeah, yeah. and that thing is apparently roasting over an open fire. <laughs> so, who even knows what that thing is? Well, think about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while. Mm. But the next Hellblade game, I'm pretty sure yeah, that started yeah. in development before the yep. Xbox acquisition. And it's like I feel like I've been waiting for that game my entire life. Well, they, Ninja Theory announced they were working on something else now, and I was right. like, Are you not? You're supposed to ship the one you were doing <laughs> before you do the next one. Um, but I know that they've put so much money into the motion capture tech, which yeah. like I, I don't know how much of that's going back and forth with uh, being greenlit by Xbox, saying, okay, it's best to uh, secure this motion capture tech, Alien Noir style, we can use it in our other studios. I don't know how much internal sharing goes on between those studios, how Mm. much you're supposed to play nice with what used to be the competition, because now you're all serving the same master. I have no idea. But like you would think that if... Um, Ninja Theory perfect an Ellie Noir beating facial animation tech they would give that to all the Xbox first party teams or, or have access to it yeah. because uh, a weird comparison might be EA, EA's approach to the um, whatever that engine was that they the Battlefield engine Frostbite, Frostbite that they forced Bioware to use for Anthem and it killed it yeah. and it's just like okay not that don't force <laughs> it but make sure they have assets available to them I'm not saying that game development is a Lego plug and play no. but it's um, but still you might as well share those assets that's it and like, uh, like we're saying not saying that Microsoft isn't doing this, but you saw how well that worked with uh, Kojima Productions and Guerrilla Games mm-hmm. when they were sharing yeah, the Decimer like, engine. engine. Yeah. They were getting like team teams from Guerrilla who were used to that engine, you know, giving advice for mm-hmm. Death Stranding. And how fast was that turnaround? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really helped the production. Like that level of communication with the studios, difficult because you've got so many different moving parts, but kind of essential to get the most out mm-hmm. of all of those games. I think I, was it um, Visual Arts, PlayStation Visual Arts, that helped with the Naughty Dog stuff. As well, at one I point, think so. with like animations to make sure those games looked mm. as good as possible. Mm-hmm. Having all of those studios at your disposal, it's like you get more resources, don't you? You get more knowledge, you get more experience. Yeah. These people know how to make good games, mm-hmm. and sharing that in theory <laughs> should make for really good products to come. But mm-hmm. you know, whether I'll be a young man when that happens, <laughs> I don't know. I You'll don't be know. your original Starfield protagonist, just an <laughs> old man with a, a spindly tash. Um, but at least we'll all still be here to see what the hell comes out of all these different deals. Um, as a final thing, it's like, do you think this is, has the generation finally started? Is Ooh. this, are they, because they're seeing a starting pistol for the beginning of Xbox. This is the most momentum and the most recommendation and the most conversation around Xbox positively that there's been in a long time. Yeah, it's true. Um, and I, I, I'm still waiting because I feel like you need that tandem rollout of stuff because I get that Xbox has Starfield now, but then it's like, okay, what next? What's in 2024? What else have mm. you guys announced? Like, they did do that gameplay showcase um, across the summer, but it was gameplay in as much as it's en- in-engine cutscenes. We didn't get to see any levels or anything. Yeah. And so it's it's like one of those things where Starfield represents a really great step forward, but I, uh, I hope it's not an anomaly. I mean, one, the generation started with a release called Returnal <laughs> a few years ago. I'll Who's have that? you know. Best game of... My life. Uh, (laughs) No, I think Starfield... I don't think it's the starting pistol for the next generation, but I think this year is. You mm. know, I know oh, yeah, yeah. they're not entirely fully optimized experiences, but with the likes of Resi 4 and Star Wars and now Starfield and going into Spider-Man, mm. I think this is the year where people have reasons to buy the machines. You know, yeah, wh- yeah. whichever side you fall on, whether you're a PlayStation, whether you're Xbox, you've got Spider-Man on this side, you've got Starfield on this side, and you've got a bunch of next-gen exclusive games in between that are multi-platform to mm. justify that experience now. Mm. Like, if someone came to us and said, you know, what am I getting a next-gen machine for? Now I think we could point them in the direction. I could give you, like, three or four five-star experiences, in my opinion, of course, right. that you can play right now and you need a next-gen machine for. That's true. I think I'm just thinking about the way forward in terms of, like, what the generation might map out as and what Game Pass represents versus uh, Sony's first party, where it's like Sony's first party is all so similar. We've talked about the Sony formula a lot, same camera angle, same approach to game design. 
fine. Um, same overall feel, bow and arrow characters, left, right, and center. Sick of them, to be honest. <laughs> um, would take anything else. Um, but on Maybe the Xbox in Far Cry 3. That, that was 2012. <laughs> no, that no. was just, Atreus broke me. But I, um, but yeah, still the Xbox side. If it all comes to fruition, you get 50 million, you get infinite Starfield type games in terms yeah. of the originality of the feel. Where each thing, we're not getting an Xbox house style because Xbox house style represents complete total freedom. Yeah, and we have Double Fine next to Bethesda, next to Obsidian. Um, etc. It's curious how that will go across the next few years because Sony are only tightening their belts. They're only tightening true. their approach, saying like, you will pay £200 for this portable system and we'll give you a certain type of game over and over again. In fact, we're going to remake Horizon because we're not going to put that money into anything else. I think if I was playing the Devil's Advocate and more importantly, the PlayStation fanboy, I would say um, yes, that freedom gets you Starfield, but that freedom also gets you Redfall and it gets you a bunch of other. Um, you get you Halo Five, and it gets you Halo Infinite oh, at launch. Yes. So that's what I, that's the devil's advocate argument. I would say that at least Sony might be more quote unquote boring, but yes. certainly more consistent when it comes to the quality. With Xbox, we've had to wait ten years for a Starfield. And hopefully, it won't be another ten years. But yeah, in theory, you'll have more of these more regularly. But I think the argument would be. Freedom also gives you the freedom to fail miserably. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. I would take, and I can't use Redfall as an example because that game was so mishandled internally in terms of what they were actually aiming for, but I would take 10 smoldering wreck flame piles yeah. that were attempting something over another Last of Us remake. That's my that would that's where I would plant my feet. I mean, I'll always take a Last of Us remake, but I also <laughs> agree, you know, I'm also a fan of like Three-star games that are ambitious and do something new because they're memorable mm -hmm. than uh, the four-star safe game that mm -hmm. we play and enjoy they never talk about. Yeah, so. and as long as they're optimized and you know put forward in a way that does keep the quality high yeah. um, and you're not treating Game Pass as a dumping ground. I think all of these are the conversations that everyone's going to be having. Havening? Havening? Havening. Everyone's going to be having these conversations across the next few years because it'll be how does PlayStation Plus define itself versus Game Pass? Mm. How do the first-party libraries define themselves? Starfield is a great step forward, but it's still Bethesda more than it's Xbox. It yeah. just helps that it reminds you of a time when Xbox was on top. Yeah. And uh, and maybe they can channel more of that going forward. For now, though, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to play Starfield, and we'll catch you throughout the week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.